We are living in a time when we are better connected than ever before. And as soon as something happens anywhere in the world, we know about it straight away. But with so much information at our fingertips, it can be hard to sift out the really important from the superficial. For many people, the Bible seems a bit outdated, boring, or just plain hard to understand. What can the Bible possibly say to us in the 21st century? Have I ever read the Bible? No. Yes. I read parts of oh, the Bible. Yeah, I read the whole thing. As a kid, I did. I used to have like our own like special ones. We used to have like the child Bibles with like Jesus and like the kids and sit under a tree and stuff like that. Like in elementary school, we read it. Yeah. I've skimmed it. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, <laughs> the other guys. <laughs> Another one about that guy and his colourful clothes. Um, Do I think the Bible is relevant? I think uh, parts of it are definitely relevant, but a lot of it might be a little bit out of date. I honestly don't remember anything from the Bible. I think the lessons that it teaches are anything, yeah. It's relevant today, for, maybe for some people, but not me. I think the Bible is inspirational and kind of frustrating at times. Well, we're talking about the Bible today, so let's get right to it. Next video, please. In the 18th century, the French philosopher Voltaire predicted that the Bible would become a museum piece within a hundred years of his lifetime and replaced by more advanced philosophies. But today, the Bible remains the most popular book in the world, the most successful literary creation of all time. Each year, over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away. The YouVersion Bible app has been downloaded over 200 million times. The Bible is the best-selling book of the year, every year. In fact, it's so popular that it's excluded from weekly bestseller lists. The Bible would be the top seller every single week, week in, week out. Many people would say that the Bible is the most popular book of all time because it's also the most powerful. It has the power to change individuals and to change societies. On her coronation day, the Queen of England was handed a Bible with the words, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. The Bible is incredibly precious. The writer of the Psalms describes the Bible as being more precious than gold. In fact, it's so precious that some have even risked their lives to share it with others. It was in um, March 2009, one day early in the morning, Marzi received a phone call from a stranger. He had some question about the car document and asked her to go to the police station. And we didn't know why and what, what was going to happen. Um, but we just prayed together and she left, she went to the police station and I was waiting for Marzia to return from the security police. Suddenly I heard the sound of her with a few others behind the door. Well, I saw her standing there with um, three guards. And I was so shocked when they ransacked everywhere and they took both of us with all our belongings, like Bibles, Jesus movies, into the security police. We had long hours of interrogation. I, I believe it was in the first day that he threatened us to physical torture. In that dark cell in the basement, we just hugged each other. We said goodbye because we thought it was our last day on earth. And, um, we were so scared. I remember the only thing that we could do um, in that dark cell in those moments was just praying for each other. Uh, we met each other for the first time. It was 2005. 
And after finishing our theology courses, uh, we both felt that we had the same passion about our country to return to our country and to share this message with our people. That's why even though we knew that how much is dangerous, we decided to go. And we uh, called our pastor, he was in uh, London, and we asked him to send uh, thousands of uh, Bibles. And uh, it wasn't easy for them. And we received uh, those New Testaments and we started our first mission. And usually at night, we carried about 140 New Testaments in our uh, backpack and put them in the uh, mailboxes. I remember sometimes it was uh, during the winter, we had to walk for long hours, for about eight, nine hours. And after almost three years, uh, we could distribute uh, 20,000 uh, New Testaments. There are some stories, amazing stories, that how God protected us and we could see his miracles. We were distributing Bibles, we were talking to people, and we were having these two house churches in our own apartment. And we knew that it was risky. We spent almost nine months in prison and 14 days we were separated. We were um, staying in solitary confinement. And I can say uh, during those nine months, we had almost about 10 trials, 10 courts. And in each court, the judges our, and our interrogators would threaten us to execution by hanging. And they, they wanted to put pressure on us to deny our faith in Jesus. We didn't have Bible with us, but uh, we learned how to live with the verses uh, of Bible. And every day we were praying and uh, asking God to give us uh, this power to live uh, those verses and to show him through, those, uh, uh, through our behaviors to prisoners. It was um, almost... Uh, uh, at the nine months that uh, uh, we heard that uh, we have we had many supports from different uh, parts of the world, and because of all these uh, supports, the the government had to release us, unlike their desires. And you know, Marcy mentioned about those Bibles that we were distributing. At that time, we were just praying for those Bibles. We didn't we didn't know who would get those Bibles, and. I remember uh, it was two years ago, we were in Australia and we were invited to a church. After our speech, um, a couple came up uh, on the stage and they were, um, both of them, they were crying and they started to share their stories. They said that um, the wife found one of those Bibles that we put in, the, in their mailboxes and they found the Bible and the whole family came to Christ just by reading that um, New Testament that we put in their mailboxes. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible, we believe, is inspired by God. What that word inspired means in, in uh, the original language in 2 Timothy 3.16 is God-breathed. It's that God breathed out these ideas into the hearts and lives of, of the writers of the Bible, many different writers, and that we have preserved today an inspirational book, a book that will teach us how to do what is right and, how, and what is wrong and how to live our lives. You know, there are three reasons why we can believe that the Bible is inspired. First of all, it claims to be inspired. Secondly, it seems to be inspired. And thirdly, it proves to be inspired. It claims to be inspired. Verses like 2 Timothy 3.16 simply make the claim that the Bible is the inspired word of God. 
And, uh, you know, I, I look at that and I say, well, of course, anybody could do that. But when you look at the life of Jesus and the life of the people that have followed the Bible, Jesus himself quoted the Bible. Jesus believed the Bible. Jesus actually elevated the Bible to a place of very great importance. He read it himself. He uh, shared it with other people. And he believed it to be the inspired word of God. The Bible also seems to be inspired in that it, is, it has so many profound truths in it. If you read the Bible yourself, just like the story here, if you, you know, the, the Bible has that power to be able to inspire people to do things. It is truly an inspirational book. When you hear the stories over and over, down through the centuries, the fact that the Bible is still the number one bestseller after thousands of years is an amazing thing. People have, have stood for that Bible, have even lost their lives for the sake of the Bible. It also proves to be. It proves to be in the fact that it has the power to transform lives. Uh, over and over again, people who have been touched by the Bible have seen their lives turned around, have seen miracles happen, have seen uh, great things accomplished, and their lives have been, they've been lifted. They've been, they've been um, well, literally the word is transformed. Earlier this year, uh, Pope Francis made a very interesting um, uh, analogy in his Sunday address, encouraging people uh, to, to, to read their Bibles and to place the Bible in the same place in their daily life as they would their cell phones. He suggested this. He said, what would happen if we turned back home when we forgot it? If we opened it more times a day, if we read the message of God contained in the Bible the way we read messages on our cell phones? The Bible, he explained, contains the Word of God, the most effective tool in fighting evil and keeping us close to God. Over a period of 1,600 years, the Bible was written by at least 40 authors, kings, scholars, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, teachers, prophets, doctors. They wrote different types of literature, such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. So the Bible is 100% the work of human authors, but it's also 100% inspired by God. How can that be? St. Paul's Cathedral in London was built by Sir Christopher Wren, the greatest English architect of his time. Construction started in 1675 when he was 43 years old and continued under his direction for 36 years. It was completed in 1711 when he was 79 years of age. Now, while Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, he didn't actually lay a single stone. There were many people involved, stonemasons, carpenters, laborers, and artists. But Sir Christopher Wren was the inspiration behind it all. With the Bible, there are many different writers, but one architect, one inspiration behind it all, God himself. That doesn't mean that there are no difficulties. The Apostle Peter, talking about some of Paul's letters, says there are some things in them that I find really hard to understand. Of course, there are many difficulties in the Bible. Moral and historical difficulties, and apparent contradictions. And if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, you know that there are some shocking things that happened. And you might think, well, how can that be inspired by God? 
It's a bit like suffering and the love of God. At the heart of Christianity is the love of God. But then you look at the world and you see this massive amount of suffering and you think, how can you hold together the love of God and suffering in the world? It's not easy. And similarly, how can you hold together the inspiration of Scripture and the difficult stuff that we come across in the Bible? Some of these contradictions can be overcome by understanding the type of literature that you're reading and the context that it was written in. And Jesus is the key to interpreting what we read. Jesus is love. He's the supreme revelation of God. If we want to know what God is like, He is like Jesus. And what I've found is that the more you trust that the Bible is inspired by God, the more you understand. So some people ask the question, well, if God is real, why doesn't he reveal himself more clearly? Why doesn't he show himself? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he demonstrate his reality more clearly? Well, the truth is he does. God reveals himself every day in many different ways. The first way that he reveals himself is through creation. In Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Just like St. Paul's Cathedral and other great uh, buildings are a testimony to the, the, the great talent of those who were inspired to build it, those people who imagined it on paper long before it ever became reality. So creation, the stars in the heavens, the, the, the galaxies, the great things that we find, every day more and more information comes out through science about how wondrous creation really is. When you stand on a mountaintop and you look out as far as you can see and you, you just, you are struck with awe. When you stand at the edge of the ocean and you, you look out and there's just, there's a vastness of water. When you think of the glory of creation, it testifies to the inspiration of the creator, the one who brought it all into being. It couldn't just happen. It had to have a great intellect behind it. It had to have something much greater than us mere mortals who can only see, seem to grasp a little bit of information at a time. But the, but the person of God is also revealed to us through Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 9, it says that Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen God. We call that the incarnation. We think about Christmas when we think about incarnation, when we think about Jesus coming as a human, Jesus being born in the manger in Bethlehem and all the parts of the story of Christmas. But the purpose of that is not just to create a little story. It's that Jesus could come and he could live among us and he could reveal to us what God is like. So the New Testament part of the Bible which was written um, um, around beginning at the time of Jesus, really tells us the story of Jesus and what happened because of Jesus' influence in the world. And you can read about how Jesus walked among men, how he died on the cross, how he rose again. All of those things are, in concert, are, are contained in the New Testament. But the part before the New Testament, the Old Testament, which gives us a little bit more you know, uh, time to scratch our heads, 
in its stories, in its metaphors, in its prophecies, in its wisdom, it points to Jesus. So Jesus becomes the center of the Bible. John says that Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. So Jesus becomes the lens which we look through the whole Bible. We can really only understand the Bible when we look at it through the person of Jesus. We can't interpret the Old Testament without looking at Jesus. We can't understand the New Testament without really looking at Jesus. Ultimately, when you read the Bible, you must read it through the lens of Jesus. Hebrews 1.13 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Look at creation. Science is the study of how God has revealed himself in creation. Theology is the study of how God uh, reveals himself through Jesus and the Bible. And those two have often been put pit against each other as if they conflict with one another. But it can't be. Science and the Bible both reveal the glory of God and proclaim the truth of who he is. There's a widespread impression in the public that science and God don't mix. And that's curious, because if you think of the rise of science in the 16th and 17th centuries, all its pioneers believed in God. In fact, they were Christian in some sense or other. You talk about Galileo, Kepler, Newton, and so on. Kepler famously said, we're thinking God's thoughts after him. So far from their belief in God hindering their science, it was the very motive that drove it. Because they believed in a creator, a rational spirit behind the universe, they thought that science was worth doing, and so they did it. So I'm not remotely embarrassed at saying I'm both a scientist and a Christian, because arguably Christianity gave me my subject. We study God's revelation both in the natural world and in Scripture with the minds that God has given us. And I believe there's no conflict ultimately between those two sides properly understood. It's clear from the Gospels that Jesus viewed the scripture in the Old Testament as inspired by God. For him, what the scripture said, God said. And this is a view held almost universally by the worldwide church through the ages, that the Bible is inspired. It's our authority on how to live. St. Paul says the Bible is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is full of practical wisdom and principles for relationships, how to love and forgive others, and advice on healthy living, working, bringing up children, taking care of the elderly relatives and that kind of thing. It gives us boundaries and guidelines to help us get the most out of life. And you might think, well, that just sounds like a rule book. It'll take away all my freedom. But actually, we all need boundaries. Imagine if sports had no boundaries or guidelines. They'd be impossible to play and they'd be quite confusing to watch. Well, in a tricky green it is, Bill. Knoodles really got to get back on track here after bogeying the 14th. It looks like he's ready to make a shot. A oh, smart move. Another smart move by Knoodle. He's really rounded out his short game. Well, these two athletes are so evenly matched here. Jeffries jumps in right away, establishing control. Whoa! Hey! 
I thought we might see something like this. This team is known for these shrewd kind of tactics. If there were no boundaries or guidelines in life, then our lives would be utter chaos. God has given us guidelines for how to live, not because he hates us or wants us to be miserable, but because he loves us and he wants us to enjoy life to the full. True freedom actually comes from when we know that God is in control and that there are boundaries. Yeah, so we know that children who grow up without boundaries are insecure, they're unhappy. And it's the same with us. Actually, the boundaries are given out of love. God didn't say, you shall not murder because he wanted to ruin our fun. He didn't say, don't commit adultery because he's a spoil sport. He doesn't want people to get hurt. He loves you. The fact that God loves us is what God wants to reveal to us through the Bible. Some people have described the Bible as God's love letter to the world, to you, to me, how God expresses his love to us through a story of how God pursued humanity, like a lover would pursue their beloved. You know, there's actually a book in the Bible called The Song of Songs, which is just that. It's a story of how a lover pursues the one that he loves or she loves and how they go to great lengths to be able to be together. It's a, it's, a, it's a classic love story, full of steamy kind of parts. And many have understood that Bible, they include, or they include that book in the Bible because it is such a strong metaphor of how God has pursued us. And the story of how through thousands of year, God, years, God has worked at wooing us and bringing us into relationship with him. The purpose of the Bible is to bring us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not to be studied just for study's sake. It's not something that is just there to be analyzed and to be torn apart and to be criticized. It's not, it's not something that, it's there to bring us into a relationship. Some people try to look at the Bible through the lens of science. And when they look at it through the lens of science, they start to see things in it that maybe don't line up with what we've come to understand because it was written at a time when people had different kinds of understanding. Some people have tried to look at the Bible uh, just as a historical chrono a chronology of history. And they look at it and they scratch their head and they say, well, other books don't say quite that. And, it's, and, you know, they get hung up on some of these details and they don't understand that the purpose of the Bible is not to teach us science, it's not to teach us history, it's to show us how throughout history and how, throughout creation how God is working to build a relationship with us. It's not there to criticize those things or to be in conflict with those things, but it has a different purpose. It's inspired. It's something that gives us, to speaks to us in our life and how we can come to know God. If we fail to see that the Bible is not something to use and to, prove, to use to prove our theories about life and all the things we want it to say, but we sit back and read it for what it really is meant to say, that God loves you and that he has pursued you, and he's made a way for you to come into full relationship with him. I had a friend named Earl Smith. Everyone in his family was wealthy. Earl was so rich, he didn't need to work, and instead he started taking drugs. He took such hard drugs that he ended up in hospital at the age of 30. Someone came to visit him and gave him a gift, a copy of the New Testament. 
Earl was thrilled because he realized that the pages of his new Bible were perfect for rolling joints. And he rolled his way through Matthew, Mark, Luke. And when he got to John's Gospel, he finally started reading. After reading John's Gospel, Earl came to faith in Jesus Christ. And his life was never the same again. It affected everything in him and everyone around him, including his psychologist, a beautiful doctor named Tommy. She couldn't understand it. I don't understand it, she said to Earl. I have everything. A great job, money, family, friends. And yet, inside, I feel totally empty. Meanwhile, your life is a complete mess. And you still have this extraordinary peace about you. So Earl told her all that he'd read in the Bible. He explained what it felt like to be loved by Jesus Christ. Earl led Tommy to know Jesus. And then he married her. Earl and I trained together at Theological College. God is longing to communicate with us, to be in a relationship with us. At the end of John's Gospel, it says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. So the best way to invest in this relationship and to hear from God and to know Jesus is through reading the Bible. It's easy to be overly ambitious. Like you'll say, I'm going to read a book of the Bible every day for an hour. Now that is ambitious. Or thinking of squeezing it in at the wrong time. So, for example, you could take 10 minutes in the morning, make some breakfast, and then read a few verses. And then you need to find a place where you won't be distracted. The most important thing you need is a plan. Decide what you're going to read. I suggest starting with one of the Gospels, the four books about Jesus' life in the New Testament. Or you could download a Bible reading plan, like the Bible in one year. There are many ways to read the Bible. You just need to find one that works for you. And just keep it very simple. Read a few verses, pray, and ask God to speak to you. And then think about what the verses mean to you. What do they say about God's character? What encouragement can you take from it? How does it guide you in life's choices? What might God be asking you to do differently? And how can you put it all into practice? And don't worry if you come across difficulties or bits that you don't really understand. I found it's a bit like a crossword puzzle. You start with a clue, and sometimes you come across one that you can't really answer. But you don't stop. You move on to the next clue, and maybe that's a bit easier, and then you start to fill in a few of the clues. And that gives you the letters that help you to understand the more difficult ones. And I found it's a bit like that with the Bible. I wrestle with all this stuff, and the more I wrestle with it, the more I begin to understand other bits that I'm reading. And if you expect God to speak to you through the Bible, then He will. It's exciting to know God and to communicate with Him in that way. We'd be foolish to tell you that reading and understanding the Bible is going to be the easiest thing. But the Bible does tell us, in its, in its own pages, that God has given us His Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit comes to, to enlighten us with the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the Word of God real to you. So even though you may not understand it all, you may not have all the answers ahead of the time, but you can start reading the Bible anytime. And as you do, God will speak to you through the pages of the Bible. I want to demonstrate this by looking at a verse with you. It's, uh, it's um, Psalm 143, verse 10. And it says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. I'm going to invite you just to take a moment 
And just read that verse again to yourself and ask, before you do, ask God to reveal something to you out of this verse. Is it going to say something to you that has meaning to you personally? So just take a moment. Let's ask the Lord first, and then let's just take a minute to read the verse quietly on our own and see what God has to say to us. Lord, we just thank you for your word, that every part of it is inspired and that you have breathed life into it. And through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you bring that back to us and you inspire us with these words. Lord, we've just randomly picked this verse, but today I believe, Lord, you want to demonstrate how the pages of the Bible are full of your goodness and your message. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts even now as we look at this verse together. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment, look at the verse, and ask the Lord what it says to you today. Now here's what I want you to do with this. Is I want you to turn around to at least one other person, but you can go with three or four um, if that works better for you in the, in the spot where you're sitting, but no more than four people. And I want you just to go uh, with that person or those people and just go around and share what that verse said to you, okay? And, uh, and just to see if it said the same thing to all of you. Okay? So just turn around now, find uh, two to four people, and just share with them what that verse spoke to you this morning. All right, I want to introduce you to Angie here. Stand up, Angie. All right, Angie is one of our uh, Next Step uh, coordinators. She's often at the Next Step table, and uh, she's going to be helping with the starting point uh, coffee time. All right, so um, Angie, tell us what uh, someone in your group, uh, how the the verse spoke to someone else in your group. Um, Well, Jerry was saying that, um, you know, he was talking about the Alpha being the beginning and uh, the Omega being the end and how everything in the middle kind of, uh, teaches you to, le- I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> um, leads you and inspires you every day, no matter how many times you uh, read it. And I was saying, like, more on a basic level, <laughs> um, you know, when if we're open and honest and willing to learn from him, then um, he's going to lead us in the right direction and and keep us going on the right path. Okay, good. Did any group find that everybody in, the, uh, in their group uh, felt exactly the same way about what the verse was saying? Did anybody find that? No. Isn't that amazing? How you can have the set of the same words, the set of the same letters, and yet it can speak to us so personally and at such a deep level sometimes. You know, we just spent a few moments uh, with this Bible verse. But there's so many different ways that God can speak to you through the Bible. It's worth spending time reading the Bible. And there's so many ways to do it now. You know, when I was younger, you just had these big, thick, leather-bound Bibles. They weighed a ton, you know, because there's so many pages in it. But, well, they've made paper better, you know, and it's nice and thin now. You could roll a joint with it, like Earl. But I don't advise that. (laughs) That's not a suggestion. All right? Um, Even if it is legal. Uh, (laughs) All right? Uh, But, 
you know, so Bibles have become lighter. But the amazing thing about Bibles is it's, it's available to us in so many digital forms today. So this morning, I got up this morning, I made my coffee. That's the first thing I do in the morning is make my coffee. And I sat down with my coffee, and I pulled out my, my, uh, my cell phone, my iPhone, and I went to my Bible app. I used Bible Gateway as my Bible app, and I've been doing a reading plan on Bible Gateway of, um, that I began at the beginning of this year that takes you through the whole New Testament in one year. It's not, it doesn't take very long to read uh, each morning, but I've just been going through that and just carefully reading. So I encourage you to find some way that the Bible can be, you can begin to ingest the Bible yourself. The Bible says it's the bread of life. It's like eating. It's like, it's like it nourishes your soul in the same way as your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner nourish your body. So here's what I want you to do right now, is I want you to uh, just turn around again in your group, and I want you to think creatively and maybe share some ideas of how you might be able to carve out an extra 10 minutes in your day to be able to make more room for the Bible. All right? Just turn around and uh, just talk about how you might be able to carve out an extra 10 minutes in your day to be able to make more room for the Bible. Oh, I forgot one thing. Can I have your attention for just a moment? If you have a question about the Bible, um, we have a, a text, uh, a cell phone number up here that you can text your question to, and uh, we'll answer your questions this week on our Facebook page, okay? So if you have a question about the Bible, um, you can text your question to that number, and we'll answer your questions this week on our Facebook page. Some of us will, okay? Go back to talking now. All right, then. I'm going to um, ask you to turn back around, and uh, I'm going to let um, Nikki's going to close out this session, and then Ian's going to come and uh, close the service. He's got a few announcements, and he's going to dismiss you. But uh, here's uh, the final word today comes from Nikki Gumbel. Over the last 40 years that I've been a Christian, I've read the Bible practically every day. Not because I feel I have to, it's because... I love it. It's like, why do I eat breakfast every day? Because I like it. To me, not reading the Bible, it's like skipping a meal. Because the Bible to me is spiritual food. And I I want to encourage you to develop a regular pattern of reading the Bible each day and praying that God would speak to you. It's an amazing experience when he does. I think back, for example, to when my father died in 1981. My parents, when, when I became a Christian, they were, they were, neither of them were churchgoers and they were a bit worried about it. My mother eventually became a committed Christian, but my father really was always a bit um, cautious, I would say, about my faith and never certainly gave any indication that he had a faith. And so when he died, I, of course, I missed him. It was, I was very shocked by his death. But, but for me, there was an added ingredient. I was concerned about whether he, he had a faith or not, whether he was a Christian. And about 10 days after he died, 
I was reading the Bible and I sensed God speaking to me through a verse. And it was in Romans 10, 13, which says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I sensed God saying to me through that verse, your father did call on me and he was saved. And that was so reassuring. But at that moment, Pippa, my wife, came into the room and she said, I've just been reading a verse which I think is for your father. It's from Acts 2.21. And it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was quite extraordinary because that verse only appears twice in the New Testament. She'd read it in one part, I read it in another. And then three days later, we went to this small group where we were studying the Bible and we happened to be studying Romans 10. Particularly, we were looking at verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. So like I say, three times in three days, God seemed to have spoken to me through that same verse. But such was my lack of faith that the next morning as I was going to work, I was still worrying about that that question. And as I got out of the underground, I looked up and there was, on the station, there was this huge great billboard. And on it, it said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. I remember saying to a, a friend, telling him the story about what had happened, and he said to me, do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? Let me ask you a question. Do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? And if so, will you let him?